That's me on the podcast Sharing a song With something to say about it With Thin Lear And Diagra Moon Losing my opinion Do we know how we're starting? We always forget to talk about how we're starting this. What do we have? We don't have shit to talk about. Hey. Speak for yourself. I, uh, you know me, Niagara Moon, aka Thomas Irwin. I was working on a new song recently, and I realized it was kind of had a it had a Fleetwood Mac flavor. That was sort of my influence. So, looking for inspiration in the arrangement or the production, I decided to check out Dreams. You know, the classic off of Rumors. You'd never heard that before. I'd heard Dreams. I hadn't heard it in a while though, and I'm ready to you know listen intently. Like, okay, how many parts are are there at any given time? What are the drums doing? Mm-hmm. Blah blah blah. And, you know, as will happen, you get discouraged pretty quickly. You're like, oh, this is so, I'm not, how could I do anything that like ever holds a candle to any part of this? You get bogged down and all that. But then, you know, I'm listening on Spotify and it'll show like all the playlists that the song is a part of, you know, like how it's represented in the algorithm. And one of the top ones was Grandma's House. Oh, come on. Do I just like Grandma's House music? <laughs> like, is that how I should start what? describing myself? Why do they do that? Why does Spotify that not there's anything wrong with grandma music going or, to grandma's house it's time to bust out the stevie it's just like i don't know you ever rewrite a song that has already been in existence and you're like pretty sure you rewrote a song that's around you just get up to the point of maybe recording it and you got to pull the plug has that ever happened to you mm, thankfully no at least not with uh, western music wow that is a complicated answer i mean uh, if if kosaka chu sings an awesome melody and nobody's around to hear it is it up for grabs a okay. little bit yeah i mean all mm, oh, right i forgot yeah okay did you spend time in japan i don't think I we've did, talked did, about that yes, that, that oh, was okay. that was the case right. yeah look let, let's just cut right into it this week shall we this okay, is yeah. losing my opinion i am dutifully meticulous indie artist niagara moon aka thomas i am just woefully all over the place indie musician Thinly, or a.k.a. Matt Longo, a.k.a. in the midst of, I guess it's sleep training. I don't even know what the fuck it is we're doing anymore. For the baby. But, uh, something. We're trying to do something. <laughs> Daddy's got bags don't under even, his eyes. Don't even remember what the purpose of it was, but we're trying to do it, whatever it is. Uh, we have a third today. We do. We have an excellent guest, fantastic uh, fellow Massachusetts uh, singer-songwriter, Chloe Dealey of Sailor Down. Yeah. Her new album, Lookout Park, just came out recently. Really cool listen. You definitely get a 90s feel there, a loose indie vibe. I'm getting a little Kim deal on the breeders, maybe. Oh, I fucking love Kim. Thank you. Hello. Happy to be here. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. Do you agree with Thomas's assessment of your sound, or are you upset with him? No, I love it. I One of the singles, Bug, I was like, I want this to sound like 90s radio. So I'm very happy with that assessment. I will take it. I mean, any time that um, someone says something about my music that is not comparing me directly to phoebe bridgers i am thrilled (laughs) yeah not that grandma music like the breeders right (laughs) exactly (laughs) i got this guy had never heard last splash before interesting or pod or anything but yeah we played it i can't i mean neither have i so big moment that's a huge moment yeah big pregnant pause here (laughs) we're just gonna talk about let's just redo that episode (laughs) <laughs> i love yeah, kim deals she's, she's the real deal as far as i'm Ugh, concerned the uh, real deal chloe this is a stupid question but why did you decide to do this well, podcast? <laughs> yeah but there's the other question what you know what kind of music listener are you generally what, what are your your top favorites or you know if there's any way you can yeah. sort of give the listener an, an idea of what your tastes are generally how would you totally um i grew up obsessed with the cure uh, deeply obsessed with The Cure from the time I was a little kid. I remember my dad playing me The Cure in his truck, the Galore singles compilation, and being like, this guy wears a lot of makeup. And I was like, that is so cool. Um, and so they were my first favorite band. Got pretty deep into emo and just early aughts indie rock when I was a teenager. So listening to a lot of Bright Eyes, 
a lot of Bell and Sebastian, mm. which will come up later in this. Oh, <laughs> that's oh, not my, that's not my take. My take is not Bell and Sebastian, okay. but that I will like come Bell and Sebastian. Up. My take I is Bell and Sebastian. Do they exist? Do, Do they, they exist? not exist? I don't know. I don't know. Um, yeah. A lot of um, a lot of Bright Eyes, Bell and Sebastian, Rilo Kylie. So a lot of like Saddle Creek bands um, of Montreal was huge for me when oh, I was yeah. younger. These days, I would say I mostly hover around Midwest emo and like twee and ni- 90s indie rock. So a lot of like Built to Spill, Super Chunk. Elliot Smith. Elliot Smith. Yeah. I do a lot of Elliot Smith. Probably the band that resonates the most with me as an adult. The band that does for me now what Bright Eyes did for me as a teenager is Silver Jews. Mm. David Berman is very, very close to my heart. I feel like he speaks for me. So Silver Jews, Jeff Rosenstock, huge for me right now. Love the 1975, as I told you guys. I'm a, a, I think that growing up is discovering that pop music is okay. Yeah, we'll cut. Um, we'll cut that. We'll edit. We'll edit <laughs> oh, that shish. whole part out. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry. Don't worry. Yeah. About this it almost at all. was a 1975 episode for the, the folks at home. <laughs> we were talking about that earlier. Uh, I decided Chloe, against it. Those are all super cool. I mean, except for the last one. Except Thank for the you. last one. Those are all super <laughs> cool choices. Oh, thank you. You um, also mentioned emo. So we oh, had yeah. a podcast. Thomas like n- knows nothing of or knew nothing of emo. I tried to do like a yeah, little I know bit of education. I'm from Long Island. Okay. Sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, I grew up in the same high school as the dude, the now canceled fellow from Brand New. Oh, um, Jesse Lacey. I've Jesse seen Lacey. Brand New a, a bunch of times. Take, um, I've seen him walk around. I almost around. did an emo. I almost had an emo take for this. Uh, for that this would be cool. Too. The that next time you're one. on, if you want to talk to us yeah. again after this, oh, sure. uh, you should do an emo one because we need an emo part two. Because I feel like we did very surface <sighs> yeah. level. I, I just got into the, the very surface of the rivalry between Taking Back Sunday and and uh, Brand New. Yes. And, oh, uh, I love that. I was going to do one about the the uh, the unsung hero of, of emo. Who I oh, don't say, don't say, don't say. I, I say got it. all caught up in the Fallout Boy and the Panic at the Disco. So I was, this okay. guy is bringing in real like surface level sure, sure. choices. I, yeah, you got to dig deeper. You go to the American football uh, direction. Mm-hmm. Get the Kinsellas involved. Patent pending. You yeah. know, go to a uh, house show in a church basement. Oh yeah, yeah. It's all foreign language <laughs> to me. I'd be happy to to do a little uh, emo demonstration. An emo demo. An emo demo. Yeah. Emo, emo Good demo. to have in our back emo pocket. Demo. Anytime. Yeah. The famous can record. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Sailor Down clearly knows their stuff. I'm coming in this week. I don't know anything. I'm a blank slate. We've done a segment a couple times in the past. Guilty or not guilty. That's not what this is today. This is a little more nebulous than that. I got some songs here and I'm really like, is this good? Is this nothing? I don't know. You could convince me either way. I'm really flimsy on the on these songs I'm bringing in. I don't know where I stand. There, it's a very peculiar batch that I'm coming to you both with today, and hopefully we can set the record straight, whatever that may be. So you don't know, you can't decide if they're good or not. I can't. Quality I, or not. I, these are the songs that baffle me. I can't wait. Yeah, because normally, you know, a lot of the times I can be very opinionated. I have all my my theses, my arguments that I come with. I'm, I'm putty in your hands, both of you. You can help me figure out what, what's going on with these tunes I'm bringing in here today. Okay. So I'm excited. Right. Is this good or is this nothing? That's that's what we're we're okay. asking here. Okay. Let's do it. Uh, we're gonna. He start- just plays three of my songs. <laughs> <laughs> this is nothing, right? This is uh, this is this one's probably nothing as well. I heard I this one imagine. live, this, and I'm like, eh, yeah, this is probably take, nothing. Take it or leave it. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna so this is a no very, era. We're not looking at any. Not really. You might think we are, but it's not going to be the case. We are going to start with. We're going to start with a band that I think many people, especially people our age, really don't think about. Just to make a generalization, there, the band Duran Duran. Yeah, we got Duran Duran heads in here. I have something to say about Duran Duran. The other day, uh, a friend of mine. I was looking through the CDs, his CD collection in his car, and I spotted one which was all ska covers of Duran Duran songs. <laughs> and it was absolutely fantastic. Oh. It was so cool. <laughs> it was, <laughs> I mean, it was cool in a guilty pleasure sort of way. Um, but you'd be amazed at how many well-known ska bands are covering Duran Duran songs. I think it came out in the 90s. It was a interesting compilation wow. anyway 
Now we need to hear now the we cover do an episode whatever on that. song you've done. Oh, we yeah, gotta look maybe for it. Change yeah. your mind about it if you Hung- hungry like the wolf. Maybe we can agree is a great '80s pop hit. Just you know, yeah. Mm-hmm. Apart from anything else, but yeah, they're not a band that like people generally don't really take them seriously in the the classic rock canon. Like I don't know, they didn't. Maybe a lot of people kind of viewed them as like an '80s flash in the pan almost. No, I get what you're saying because they're not like kitschy enough where they're going to be like ironically loved right. or like, oh, we're dredging up a cultural thing from the 80s. That's like, you know, clearly it's, we're going back to go back. But yet they're also not like critically adored. Mm. Like, I don't know, uh, the police or something right, like that. Where it's right. like, there's right. just so many hits that you just can't deny it. It's like, okay, yeah, they're fucking yeah. great. They, they are, they're in a weird territory. Yeah. They're not, yeah, because they're not quite wham. No. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Not, yeah. There's no George Michael in the group. There's this Duran Duran song, though, and I, I don't know. With this one, I at least know it's like it's got something to it, but like, is it a great song or am I getting ahead of myself, I guess is the question here. Uh, and it's it's not even from the 80s. It's from 1992. Whoa. Uh, it's a song called Ordinary World. Oh, I kind of have feelings about this already, Ooh. but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to- I'm a blank it, slate a, here. Cool. You don't know this one. I think, Chloe, I think you're going to know it. Okay. It's 1993 at Adventureland. You're waiting for the roller coaster to start up. Guy from the Mighty Boosh here. Now, nineties, the six CD collection. <laughs> But like, is this a great song and we just kind of blow it off because it's Duran Duran or what? I think it's a little schmaltzy. I would never have known that it was Duran Duran. When you said 1992, I mentioned The Cure earlier. And when I hear 1992, I think about their album Wish. And I feel like there's a similar progression happening here where there's the the acoustic the like steadily strummed acoustic Mm. guitar that's like kind of sentimental sounding Mm. is very reminiscent of of wish Mm. that is a trebly Um, acoustic guitar yeah it is i could take it or leave it okay wow yeah that's why i'm coming on here i don't i don't know now i know i feel i could take or leave the verses i really like those choruses Mm -hmm. that's very memorable like i remember that part Probably from childhood and like literally like at an amusement park or something like you'd hear that like that just, Mm -hmm. you know, is very memorable to me, like uh, like an Enya melody or something where it's just like that'll be in my brain until I'm dead, whether I want it or not. I think I'm like disturbed by the fact that that's Duran Duran because to me they're so shiny and like (laughs) 80s that hearing them with this like sort of subdued acoustic is a little off putting. "Eh, You're still around. Different sound. Kind of feeling. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I would say good and great for, for me. It's a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. Oh. I, I came to the right people here. We're, we're sorting this out, going <laughs> through the backlog. I think it's going to get harder from here. Uh, okay. But I could be wrong. But I don't Duh. think so. We are looking at a somewhat similar era because we are now going to turn our attention towards uh, another artist known for their work in the, their, the 80s, primarily. Not their 80s. The <laughs> 80s. Uh, the artist's... Boy George. Hmm. Okay. Fun. Hmm. Uh, how are we both feeling about Boy George? This seemed to elicit a response. So how are we both doing with the Boy George? Uh, what are our thoughts? Oh, pro Boy George. <laughs> All right. Great voice. Yeah. Great voice. Underrated voice. 
Great look. Great look. Yeah, very uh, innovative look. Definitely Mm -hmm. use a a brave soul. And uh, yeah, he's got a lot of 80s pop hits that he at least had somewhat of a hand in writing, you know, which isn't always the case. That's pretty cool. I don't know why. I had a very, very small collection of CDs available to me when I was a kid. Very small. There There was not a lot around the house for me to choose from. One of the very few options was... At worst, dot, 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 the best of Boy George and Culture Club. So a lot of these songs I grew up with. This is like a quarter of your childhood musical knowledge. This is kind of coming coming up on that. I don't know why. He, uh, you know, the 80s happened. He had his Karma Chameleon and I'll Tumble For You. You go into the 90s, I guess he kind of had a one-off group that he called Jesus Loves You. Uh, And they, they released one album as Jesus Loves You called The Martyr Mantras. In 1990. Oh, by the way, in the States, it was just totally released as Boy George. They weren't messing around with. Yeah, they're not going <laughs> to. Mm, why would they? Okay. Was yeah. this like Chris Gaines situation, Tin Machine? Yeah. Uh, so uh, you got the album, The Martyr Mantras, and uh, the single off of that that was in this Greatest Hits collection is a song called Bow Down Mister. And this was very much uh, inspired by a trip to India. That's going to become very obvious as we uh, go into the music video here. But, you know, is this anything? Is this actually, is it pretty impressive that he did this and this is kind of George Harrison-esque? Or is this not so great? And maybe we'll we'll have some thoughts. Uh, So we're going to listen to Bow Down Mister from 1990 uh, by Boy George. Yeah. And we're not judging the music video. Whoa. Okay, I gotta. Uh, I, know, I, I feel, feel like, like I'm kind I should, of judging the music video. I feel like I should close my eyes. He liked India, you guys. Matt looks very confused. Okay. I don't know do what we... I'm supposed to do right now. No, I have a question. Yep. Do we think he was doing a Graceland thing? Uh, that's a great question. So later in the song, I don't think we'll get to it, but he did enlist like a really, like the Ella Fitzgerald of India, apparently, like this really acclaimed okay. female singer to, you know, do her yeah. thing like on the bridge. You know, there there were people from India involved, at least. Mm-hmm. Why does it feel like it's almost a problem? It's a, yeah. Why? Because the guy in the dreadlocks in slow motion, that part's a little. Yeah, something about this feels like. Scroll away from the video, just the song. Okay. Okay, yeah, the music video is definitely influencing me. So, what's the difference between this and George Harrison? Uh, good song. I mean, it's a very it's a very organic sound for Boy George. Um, and he's not wearing any makeup in the video. Right, and he has a shaved head, which is fascinating. I just feel like the lyrics are a little on the nose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. Maybe. Uh, I didn't love that. No. I do love his voice. And again, like, you know, I love his voice in that song. He's a great singer. Uh, My take would be that I think he is aiming for a Graceland mm. kind of deal and just overshooting. Uh, the martyr mantra is a little mm. too much. Jesus loves you. It's a little, a little heavy there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, if the lyrics were different, is that not a pretty solid pop hook, though? Like, that's pretty... St- yeah, oh, it, yeah, definitely. So it's just the lyrics, then. The lyrics in the music video are pretty off-putting. Oh, yeah, the music. <laughs> the music video. I would say the music, too, and the music And the well. music. But and other, the, than, other than that, What though, do you dislike about the music? Great. It just feels real, like, general. Mm. Like, if you took the voice out of it, took the video away, like, it mm-hmm. could be a commercial. And, like... You know, I think with his mm. other music, you could say that too. But like, it's it's club music, party different. music. There's there's something, yeah. Like there's something really fun. Yeah. There's a kumbaya vibe. 
This one is more, yeah, yeah. like let's gather around the campfire and it does you I mean you, you you know the ghosts of george harrison is like is there it's like mm-hmm. kind of you know okay british artists uh, doing this thing like yeah so okay so it's been tepid all around so far that's fine like i said i didn't know what's what you guys are helping me figure it all out we're gonna shift gears again for this last choice i don't think either of you have heard of this artist but peter ivers Mm-mm. yeah okay <laughs> no Peter Ivers. It sounds like a bar of soap. <laughs> does. He's, uh, it's the kind of thing where he's like one step away from like everybody else you've heard of in the 70s and 80s uh, mm. music scene. He, his band opened for Fleetwood Mac when they were touring Rumors. If any of you have ever seen Eraserhead, he wrote In Heaven Everything is Fine. That's a Whoa. great song. Okay. So that's Peter Ivers. Uh, he wrote songs later in his career that were recorded by Diana Ross. Danger Mouse uh, listed one of his albums, Terminal Love, as uh, one of his favorite underrated records. We all like Danger Mouse. He's a very iconoclastic kind of your musician's musician's musician almost. Mm. He died tragically in the early 80s, like circumstances that nobody's ever really understood. Uh, You can Wikipedia it if you want to. But I think because of that, because of that very early unfortunate demise, he never really you know, cemented his legacy or what have you. But very interesting guy behind the scenes, kind of like if you find out about him, he's like a little, you know, hidden gem or whatever. Maybe, or maybe, maybe he's not all that. Who knows? We're going to listen to a song of his now and we're going to, we're going to be the judge. Okay. Wow. My interest is peaked. Yeah. Certainly. Um, We're going to listen to a track off of his debut album from 1969 I think the album is called like Knights of the Blue Communion, if I'm remembering that wow. title right. Uh, we're going to listen to a song called Cat Scratch Fever. That's right. Before Ted Nugent, somebody else okay. got to it first. <laughs> he also wrote the classic Ted Nugent hit, <laughs> Cat Scratch Fever. Um, so we're going to play this in a second. The one other thing I'll say is this is not, he sings on some of his songs. He's not singing on this. This is a collaboration with uh, acclaimed like Sri Lankan singer Yolanda Bayan. Hadn't heard of her outside of this project, okay. but so that's whose voice you're hearing. But this is a uh, a Peter Ivers production. Uh, Cat Scratch Fever. Let's check it out. Somebody to sample just that drum part there. Oh yeah, this is wild. And then you got the Renaissance fair. I really, I just feel like they recorded the bass in one take, and they were like, "All right, got it." You don't gotta tune this. Yeah, no, we're this is sick. Let's roll with it. Oh, and the song is almost eight minutes long. Uh, and we're gonna listen to the whole thing, right? Yeah. So, yeah, the, the, uh, the bass is not great. How are we feeling overall, though? I think it's cool. It's theatrical. It's, I think the roughness makes it, like, pretty evocative. It catches your attention. Like, I, I, I wasn't um, talking shit about the bass. I kind of like it. They should have uh, Tinder should use that as their... Because, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, she says, call me Tinder. Yeah. So they sh- that should be, like, the music when you open the Tinder app. It should play that song. Yeah, I think it would weed out a good number of people <laughs> on Tinder. <laughs> some real interesting folks. Right, exactly. Yeah. Be like, what the fuck is this app? Anyone who uh, sort of cringes would have to get out of there. Uh, that was an interesting arrangement, certainly. Uh, it, it makes me want to hear the rest of the record. 
I want to know if the song or the record sort of comes to a climax at any point, because that song felt a little bit, I mean, seven <laughs> minutes. Does it sound like that the whole time? Good question. Is my question. It's been a while, I'll be honest, since I listened to the whole thing, so I'd have to revisit. Mm. But uh, that's a commitment. The, the opening is my favorite part at any rate. Drums are great. It's like, almost like can, can like drums. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I see that. So it sounds like we're saying somewhat good, maybe, question mark? What are, what are we saying here? I think there are some cool things about it. I'll second that. That's as far as we're <laughs> going to go, Thomas. You're not going to get much more out okay. of us. Yeah, that's as, as far as I'm willing to commit. I think that one is the most interesting. I think that if I were going to sing one of them at karaoke, it would be the Duran Duran song. I think Same. that the Boy George one is a little... Yeah, I want to say problematic, but I I haven't formed a thesis about why. It's like you can't figure out why. I can't figure out why. It's just there's something about it. A little too excited. A little too full of itself, maybe. (laughs) He's too pumped up. Mm, Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's my segment. That's that's what I had. I I feel my head's cleared up a little bit. I feel like I got some answers, so I I thank you both for that. I think you probably... Great. Let go of all of those, yeah. really, and just clear that space in your brain. I think brain. we gave you sort of middle-of-the-road answers for all three of those, so I hope you're content with that. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was certainly no easy task, so I appreciate you both doing what you I could. I think there's a reason you were having trouble. You could see. You yeah. get it now. Yeah. I definitely yeah. understand. But I want to know, Chloe, uh, what have you been listening to this week? Losing my opinion. Right. So I have an opinion. Oh, yeah? Fantastic. <laughs> and I want to see what your thoughts are. So, Oh, you're, you're going to hear it. I was thinking in preparation for this about uh, my favorite record label. Oh. And what I think uh, they represent to me. And the uh, thesis that I came up with is Twee is punk, but better. <laughs> so mm. I'm curious what... You guys, what is your experience with twee? Do you what do you, what associations do you have with that word? Twee is punk, but better. Let me just sit on that for a second. Uh, Matt, you you got thoughts? <laughs> Again, and this is like a problem because I don't just like with um, emo. Like I feel like there's a lot of divisiveness amongst people about like what twee actually is. Mm-hmm. I'm here I to mean, set I, the record straight. I'm ready. Fantastic, for that. Yeah. great. Because I'm <laughs> you know because I think of like you know, moldy peaches or whatever, like so, something that's, I guess, like more nah, modern. Man. Foxygen. <laughs> Foxygen's an interesting I Love take. My Love in San Francisco or whatever that one is. That's like the, okay. f- the big twee song that sticks out in my mind. Foxygen too. I haven't heard since high school. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Decemberists, maybe too? Wouldn't call them twee. Oh. Indie folk. Okay. Mm. So I'm, I'm curious. Yeah, this is exciting <laughs> for me. This is, this is the kind of... Um, thing that I wanted to be working with. What is Twee? Yeah. I know of one Twee label. Well, actually two that did. One, I'm not sure they did Twee. I know K Records does. Yep, K Records did. I don't know if they're still. Yep. And then there was one called um, Touch and Go. Did they do Twee? Touch and Go. Not one I'm familiar with. Okay, I think I think they did. I don't know. I might be fucking wrong. Okay, the Juno soundtrack. That's what we're talking about. No, No. that's what I just said, and she she told me it was wrong. (laughs) But that's that's what I was thinking, like moldy Moldy peaches. peaches. Okay, yeah, I would call moldy peaches in the Juno soundtrack anti folk. Uh, That's my. I mean, I so I know a lot of people are anti like (laughs) genre labels. I love labels. I think that subcultures are really useful for talking about music and talking about what things stand for, and. I think a lot of people, when they hear the term twee, think of Juno or they think about Zoe Deschanel. Oh, which yeah, yeah, yeah. It's horrifying to me. Not that there's anything wrong. She's great, yeah. but, you know, she's not, that's not what I'm talking about. Um, so, twee, in my opinion, started with bands like Orange Juice in the 80s oh. and then really became solidified with the creation of Sarah Records in 1987. And I am here to talk about Sarah Records. I know nothing about this. This is great. Okay, excellent. This is good. So Sarah Records uh, is a an independent label from Bristol, UK, started by Claire Wad and Matt Haynes in 1987. So they were focused on releasing seven-inch singles of pop songs uh, by small mostly 
British artists. Hmm. Um, they released exactly 107 inches before shutting down in a sort of ceremonial way. <laughs> they, I think, were pioneers of what Twee is to me, which has a... They had a DIY punk ethos, but it celebrated sincerity and poetry and beauty and femininity. And that was at the heart of who they were as a record label. Um, and they would even say so. So they sort of saw pop as an act of rebellion. There's an interview with, with Tribune magazine where Claire, one of the founders, said, you're never going to start a revolution by being dreary. So their whole idea was to promote their own idea of politics so they were they were kind of anti-margaret thatcher they were pro-socialism pro-feminism through pop songs and uh so i'm here to talk about them <laughs> and they they had this very political diy ethos but they also put out just fantastic music their their catalog is incredible um they put out only seven inches because and and fanzines because they thought 12 inches were ripping off fans and customers. So they only put out seven inches. Um, Your money's worth. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I'll play. Um, Wait, I have questions. Yeah. So do you, you've obviously, I think I know how you feel about this, but like, and you, you know, you mentioned Zoe Deschanel. I brought up Multi Peaches and you were like, mm. mm-hmm. yeah, Thomas brought up the Juno soundtrack. Yeah. Like, I don't know if it's a negative stereotype, but it's a, it's it's not a positive one. Certainly, stereotype of what twee music is. I think yeah. to the general masses or somebody like me who is not delved into it, where it's like this is something like you know cutesy, hard on its sleeve in in a cutesy way. And I hear right. the word twee used among certain groups of musicians as a, yeah. as somewhat it's derogatory. derogatory. Yeah. And the the founders of Sarah Records, I think, were really aware of that. And I, I have a book with me that I was reading in, in, uh, in preparation for this. And they, their interviews with them where they're aware of the fact that Twee is associated with, yeah, hard on your sleeve, overt sincerity, and femininity. And I think what they wanted to do was assert that that wasn't necessarily a bad thing. And that being something being sort of sweet or sincere didn't necessarily mean that it was surface level. So the idea of it was, was being, yeah, pop songs are political because they celebrate joy and that's an act of rebellion. Hmm. Hmm. Like speaking out against injustice that that's prevalent in a lot of punk music. It's kind of taking mm-hmm. that, but instead of, you know, pounding drums and electric guitars we talking about ukuleles or acoustic guitars? Not ukuleles. So, so more just normal people trying to write pop songs. Okay, so like a Bell and Sebastian vibe. Well, yeah, okay. I was I was gonna get there. So, um, yeah, the Sarah Records. Some of the bands that are, I think, when people talk about Twee, they talk about Zoe Deschanel or they talk about the Moldy Peaches. But I think that's a misunderstanding of what it is. I think the it, they did influence a number of bands in the early 2000s. So I wrote down, I had Bell and Sebastian, Los Campesinos were hugely influenced by Twee, um, Camera Obscura, the Lux Smiths. Oh, love Camera Obscura. Yeah. Love that band. Yeah. They were hugely influenced by um, like Sarah Records, K Records, and C86. Oh, and maybe uh, I do like Twee. I like I the think Lux you Smiths might. too. I, you like I the th- Lux Smiths too. Yeah, yeah. Aren't they like... Oh, yeah. They're a classic Twee band to me. Um, hugely influenced by Sarah. The Luxmiths, I would say Jens Lechman was um, enormously uh, influenced by Twee. He actually sampled a Sarah Records band, Blue Boy, in um, his song A Higher Power, which is how I heard about that band. <laughs> so a lot of these, I think what else is so cool about them is that the it's it's sort of this like celebrated language that only a few people still speak. And I think a lot of the early aughts indie pop carried out the tradition of of 80s and 90s twee bands um, subtly nodding towards them. What do you think of the elements that, like, because I, th- I would say a lot of our listeners know what Bell and Sebastian sounds like. If yeah. we're going to talk about all of those bands, like, what are the, like, vestiges of twee that still exist within the music of Bell and Sebastian that you would point to and say, like, yeah. I'm going to tie, tie this to twee? Um, I would say earnestness in the lyrics and a pop sensibility in the musicianship. Mm. So, catchy easy chord progressions and and um 
really earnest lyrics and an earnest kind of lovey sentiment. So I was, I have a few of so- few songs that I wanted to play. The first one is not a Sarah Record song, but a song that I think talks a lot about the ethos of it. They have, okay, so Telecraft has two songs that I think are about Twee as a movement. One is called Twee, which name drops a bunch of Twee bands and talks about Sarah Records. Um, and then they have another one called The Punks Are Writing Love Songs, which is the one I was going to send to you guys. So let me find that. Great. So they have, this is like a theme song. The real Telecraft song that would be the Twee theme song is called Twee, but I think The Punks Are Writing Love Songs sums it up. And borrows a lot from the musical elements of uh, some Sarah songs. Man, we would never have gotten to Twee if you didn't come on. Like this is can't talk about what you a, don't a understand that, yet. Yeah, exactly. Really, fantastic. So they are not a Sarah band, but I think are disciples of the Sarah tradition. Sarah disciples. Exactly. Tully Craft. Every scene needs a center. That's a very twee album name. I'll say that. Exactly. Uh, the punks are writing love songs. Sing it all in the lyrics, the whole scene. Yeah, you're right. I hear the um, I hear the camera obscura. Yeah, in it. totally. There's like a there's a certain um, tenderness in the lyrics too. Like it's it's not it's it's the lyrics in the way that they're sung. There's like a tenderness and empathy mm-hmm. in there that is not precious to me. I mean, it doesn't yeah. sound... Pre- and that's a word I would have used, I think, to describe Twee previously. That mm-hmm. just sounded... Yeah, it sounded like pop music that was earnest. Yeah. There's, there's I think there's the like a, a lightness and an easygoing sensibility to the kind of pop that that um, a lot of Twee bands make. Right? So it's 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 a little more loose than than pop music as you think of it. But it's... The way I would explain it is like normal people making pop music or it's punks writing love songs i think that is another great way to explain it a great euphemism and uh, not that i'm qualified to talk about emo but the Uh-oh. the volume of lyrics and the detail that they go into with like, mm-hmm. yeah. instead of it being angst it's like hey we're figuring out we got friends and we go do a show like yeah. it's, it's a laid back kind of more innocent version of their innocence is is huge in this genre i think um so sarah records was known for just to to talk a little bit more about their politics they were known for um they would take out advertisements in music magazines like pretty well-known music magazines um and put their own sort of diy message out Mm. there so they'd buy half-page advertisements and put their own things out. So I, I took one. This is from their um, their five-year anniversary as a record label. And they wrote, um, it was in, let's see, what? In Enemy and Melody Maker. Let's see. It says, 
sell the same song over and over to the same few people, capitalism, only no one seems to much notice anymore because politics is what the government does, not what you or I do, isn't it? We're not a political band, but you are, you are. And then it says, um, because they're pop music, poetry, socialism, feminism, effeminism, revolutions, because we're fed up with ugliness and mediocrity, to come home each night smelling of bonfires. Sarah Records, five years old this week. Mm. So they were, they put out these songs that a lot of the time were, came across as pretty surface level and just joyful and celebratory, but the fact that they were putting out such joyful songs they saw as rebellion, which I think is really interesting. So next song I wanted to play was the first single that Sarah Records ever released, um, which is by a band called the Sea Urchins, and it's called Pristine Christine. I love everything about those titles. Pristine Christine. There's also a really good sense of harmony. I mean, in the last song, you know, you, you keep saying normal people. I get what I get your point in mm-hmm. saying that, but like, there's a lot of uh, melodic tunesmithing going mm-hmm. on there that I think is not necessarily indicative of what punk is about. You don't necessarily hear that all over the place. There are punk bands that can do that, but I think like, you know, from what we've heard so far and the bands that you've referenced, like, there's a, there's a sense of melody that's mm-hmm. in there. And as Thomas said, even when the lyrics are spilling over the couplets and you know doing that yeah. the emo thing that you talked about, where they can't fit it into the stanza it's still within the framework of a really nice melody. So mm-hmm. it's like, that's a really interesting uh, feature of this this music so far. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right, let's check out the Sea Urchins. That's a cool album cover. Oh, yeah. Stone Roses S. I was just thinking this. Totally uh, yeah. Stone Roses, Yeah, this is very enjoyable. Good, I'm glad. Glad to hear it. It's almost like, I mean, I might get, this might be wrong, but like, it, it, it feels like uh, the vibe of like, you know, Nuggets, like the original psychedelic, uh, that box set, those songs where it's like, almost like garage rocky. Yeah. There's like a garage rocky ethos, exactly. you know, where like the melody is the guitar solo and like those kinds of things. And yet there's this melodic thing that's happening on top of it and that empathy and tenderness mixed mm-hmm. in. Yeah, they're just, I mean, I think they're, a lot of these songs are just very loose, homemade pop songs. Chloe, do you feel like the time is right or has it already come where um, there'll be like a twee resurgence because of you know, how easy it is to record now. Mm-hmm. and uh. I really hope so. I think that it's really misunderstood as a term and as a subgenre. And there has actually recently been a resurgence of the term twee on like TikTok, where people are talking about it in regards to mid-2000s style. So that's mm-hmm. where like people are talking about Zoe Deschanel and the movies that she was in or... Um, it's a haircut style, almost. Yeah, so. it's a haircut style. I mean, I kind of got it. But, um, you know, like these sort of saccharine indie pop bands of the mid-2000s. Mm. The pains of being pure at heart. I actually think they're quite, they're quite influenced by Sarah. All huh. right. I love that band. I should have worn my pains of being pure at heart sweatshirt today. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I like this. This is uh, easygoing stuff. This is very—it's uh, it's good going, mood. Like right? this is it's great just, wake-up it's music. Very... 
Good. It's very um it's very homemade. Well, that's funny that you say that. The other Tullycraft song that's about tweet, the first lyric is she wakes up every morning to the sound of Sarah Records. Ah. Which is there you no go. No surprise at all there. Thomas, you love like British jangle pop. I do, yeah. So I feel like there is some commonality there. This has been a pretty mm. easy sell so far, yeah. What was that band you really liked that you tried to sell me on a while uh, back? Trash Can Sinatras and the Sundays. The, the Sundays. That the was Sundays, the one. That's that one. Twee adjacent for sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Jangle pop is very, very much aligned with Twee. Now, Morrissey, maybe not no. so Twee. No, because Morrissey is a difficult person. Right. Johnny Marr. <laughs> Johnny Marr is Twee. We like Johnny Marr can be, yeah, yeah, I could see him. He could easily join a Twee band. All right, do you, do you guys want to hear another song? Well, I'm ready for yeah. another one. Another yeah. song? Okay, fantastic. Um, so this, I would say if I had to choose a theme song for Sarah Records, their number one, like the number one song that they put out, I think it would be this one. I My favorite is the next one that I'm going to show you guys, but this is probably, this is a very well-loved song by the Field Mice, who were um, one of their most successful bands. Field Mice is a good name for a twee band. I was it just going to say that's lying in the exactly. when, <laughs> you hear this, when you hear this next to the Sea Urchin song, you'll get the sort of aesthetic through line, the, the looseness and the poppiness. these songs are making me imagine a past life where I was a university student in the early 90s in Bristol like that's and I'm in my dorm room like that's just the vibe of all these songs oh yeah well that's what it's all about that's probably my favorite song so far that we Mm-hmm. To. It's really nice. It's a fantastic song. I really love it. It's it's moody. It's sincere. Uh, it's catchy. I I think nothing about these songs is over or underproduced. Sure. It like has just barely all the basic elements you need for like a tight pop song that's acceptable mm-hmm. for the radio. Like nothing yeah. more. But it really right. just. Yeah, no frills, but it really like it locks on to what it needs to. Yeah, it's homemade pop. Yeah, it's not missing anything. That's what it feels like to me, which is different. I think when people talk about bedroom pop, it's different from bedroom pop because there's a, rough, a roughness to it. Mm. Right, and that eighties that eighties recording sure. technology. Right. That's another. We could do a whole episode on bedroom pop and like what that is. I feel like that's a term that's been really heavily co-opted since everything's yes. bedroom pop now. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, everything's better pop. It's like indie. Oh yeah, everything's indie. Indie's a genre, not a not a label. Pretty it's weird. I know. Wild. So we got one more uh, feel good tune well, here. Well, this is Chloe saving the best for last. Apparently, uh, this one's my favorite. All right. So this one is going to be a little different, but it is another Sarah Records song. A deal with the city is the name of the song. Um, so this is probably my favorite Sarah Records song. So they, like I said, they only released, they had, they put out 100 releases and then they shut down ceremoniously <laughs> with a big party. And I'll, I can actually, I can read the, um, 
the flyer that they put out to advert in in NME and Melody Maker to advertise that they were shutting down. They wrote, when you were 19, didn't you ever want to create something beautiful and pure just so one day you could set it on fire and then watch the city light up as it burned? Didn't you want to do that every day of your life? Nothing should be forever. Bands should do one single and then split up. Fanzines finish after one flawless issue. Lovers leave in the rain at 5 a.m. and never be seen again. Habit and fear of change are the worst reasons for ever doing anything. Stopping a record label after 100 perfect releases is the most gorgeous pop art statement ever and says more about pop music than any two-part digipack limited edition colored vinyl 7-inch, grimly authentic lo-fi 10-track EP, or any other marketing gimmick ever will. Sarah Records is owned by no one but us, so it is ours to create and destroy how we want. We don't do encores. We want to burn in bright colors and go pop, to be giddy, impulsive, and silly, to kiss people in new places exquisitely, and dare to tear things apart. The first act of revolution is destruction, and the first thing to destroy is the past. Scary like falling in love it reminds us we're alive sarah records 1987 to 1995 wow it was like the intention was to create a legacy by not uh not overdoing it yeah exactly that and that they did it they they had something that existed for a short period of time and was beautiful and and bright and colorful and really cool and uh i respect that whoever wrote that i hope they went on to write a lot more <laughs> pieces they, they have a way with words yeah yeah, and that, that was an advertisement for their... They had a party to celebrate that they were shutting down with, like, a bunch of their bands, so... Yeah, I wanted to go. Did, did the label owners go on to do anything else in music? Um, I'm not exactly sure what they went on to do. They've been interviewed a lot, um, so I hope that they had successful careers, but I haven't heard what they've done in the meantime, aside from reading interviews about Sarah. So right. this is the last song. All right, we're closing strong here. This is East River Pipe, Make a Deal with the City. favorite songs of all time. I love this song. Like there's almost a replacements delivery to the vocals in that part. Like it reminds me of Here Comes a Regular by the replacements. It's a very Paul Westerberg vocal performance. Yeah, that hits smooth. Mm-hmm. That's a great song. Who, who introduced you to that song, or how did you find um, it? I found that song just through listening to Sarah Records compilations. So they put out seven inches and then they would put out compilations um every once in a while with singles from all their bands and that was on one of their one of their comps mm. and i love it it's a lovely tune yeah you brought us a, a lot of enjoyable yeah. easy to easy to listen to uh music today i love music that's uh, easy to listen yeah, to me, and i did too guys right yes <laughs> did. you did yeah yes uh no this this is a great collection this is i think just what we needed fantastic we were never gonna get to this yeah we're never gonna get to this if you didn't come on yeah glad to be your twee ambassador 
<laughs> yeah, it's not all just stills from Wes Anderson movies. No, it's not. Oh yeah, that's another yeah thing that's that got thrown out with yeah. the tweet. Yeah, like oh, this is a tweet thing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a fan. So that's. But. I mean, I I love Wes Anderson, but Wes Anderson is performative, and Twee is so non-performative. Right. I think what you you've just showed us here, especially the legacy of Sarah Records, it's all about heartfelt, immediate, nothing more than what you need. Like mm-hmm. you know, these are obviously DIY recordings. Uh, yeah. It's it's got that just youthful, free relaxed energy yeah absolutely and hard on your sleeve is is not a bad that, that's not the that's not the wrong way to explain twee it's just only a part of it yeah, yeah and to not not explain use that term in a derogatory fashion right you could do that you know you could you could say hard yeah. on your sleeve and say it in a negative way but it doesn't have to be framed yeah, in that way but it's really it's a it's a sort of rebellious thing to do Maybe I'm confusing a lot of what I thought was tweet with anti-folk. You know, you brought that up before. Mm-hmm. I'm hearing, you know, we're talking about the rawness of the recordings and these songs, but, like, the musicianship is pretty high. At the very least, it's oh, very yeah. competent. Like, these are bands that would shed these songs for their recording. Like, everyone's very tight. Bass lines are really active. Mm-hmm. These guitar parts are crazy busy, but they're never stepping on the vocal. Like, mm-hmm. they know what they're doing with these songs. It's, it's rawly recorded, but um, high levels of musicianship. And I don't think that was a thing that I would associate with the, the genre from what I thought about it before. Yeah, yeah, they're well-crafted songs. Yeah. I, I think that's a huge part of the genre is, is these songs that are really well thought out and it's pop music. Great guitar riffs. Yeah. yeah. I used to play in a venue called Sidewalk Cafe uh-huh. here in New York and um, they used to call it an anti-folk venue and I wasn't sure why or what that meant. That's I mean, cool. I, so, yeah, I, I feel like I need to investigate now what what they were talking about maybe that'll be your next episode anti-folk anti-folk yeah get kimia dawson on here yeah <laughs> well uh in terms of what we learned i mean i just learned all about sarah records we learned a lot and yeah this is normally we learn shit but yeah. this, we learned a lot today fantastic yeah. i'm so glad we covered a lot of doing my job as a teacher oh yeah <laughs> we ended up yeah, learning un- something. a bunch of unruly students today <laughs> Well, oh, I had man. a great time. Yeah. Excellent. Now you have to come back. And I forget what your next episode is going to be. To. Oh, but it's we're not going to talk about emo. It's about emo episode. Okay. Yeah. There was another one, too, that we were going to do. but My Maddie Healy episode? Yeah. Oh, no, we're yeah, definitely not doing yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this was, I think this is the most we've learned on any episode thus yeah, far. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Very learned. much appreciated. Fantastic. Yeah. I'm well, doing my job. You, we learn nothing when it's just the two of us. We're just two assholes talking to each other. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's right, value exactly. in that. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, as we uh, wrap up here, Chloe, anything you would like to uh, promote at this time? Stuff you got going on with Sailor Down or what have you? Sure, yeah. Um, so I just put out a record. It's called Lookout Park. It came out a few weeks ago. Uh, it's out everywhere. And I'm really excited about it. I'm playing some shows, but not a ton. If you're in Massachusetts, um, I'm playing a show at Asbestos Farm in Hadley next week. I should be playing Gloucester in a few weeks Mm. and hopefully some more shows. Um, I play in a band called Lost Film, and we will have a record out in the fall, and I would love to promote that. I didn't play on the record, but I play in their live band, and uh, we'll have a record out soon, a Relief Map Records. Lookout Park, if you want to hear some music that is very influenced by Twee, but not necessarily in that. I was going to say, I heard some elements, yeah, when I you checked it out. You did a good yeah. job promoting your record then today, if this is like, we tell <laughs> the listener. And if you want to hear you the like next this, incarnation. <laughs> listen yeah. to Lookout yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's Lookout very Park. influenced by Sarah Records. I wouldn't say it sounds like it, but it's, if you look at my album art and you look at Sarah <laughs> Records album art, you'll see the connections. So thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. Yeah. Thomas, what do you have to plug this week? Well, I don't have much to plug this week, but I just wanted to say thank you to the listener. I hope it was fun for them as well. Uh, And if they enjoyed this episode of the podcast, uh, they should go ahead and subscribe so they never miss a future episode. Uh, Leave us a rating or a review. Uh, We'd love any feedback. You can follow Losing My Opinion on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok. And I didn't come in this week with an argument. I just had some questions to ask. I didn't have anything to prove. Uh, And I could be wrong now. (laughs) But I don't think so. I didn't even hear that. I didn't even hear what you said. It's probably best that way. (laughs) 
did not even hear it. Um, I had a plug and you totally skipped over Oopsies. me. Oopsies. All right, uh, I did say it get, so that I can like edit it back in earlier. Okay, okay, we're not editing this in after the fact. I uh, <laughs> have a show on 826 at Le Poisson Rouge in uh, New York. Uh, come on down. Tickets are available now. I'm opening for Hermitage Green, uh, an Irish band. And um, yeah, get your tickets. They're available everywhere. Come see me. Talk to me. Sorry about that. Uh, and I'll say thank you to Chloe. Sailor Down. This is uh, fantastic. I feel like I learned a lot. Uh, and I'm really legitimately, I, I'm going to go and listen to some of those bands yes, that you brought up. That would make um, me so happy. Which I think happy. is probably the, the best compliment we give each other on this show. Which is very rare Hell that we yeah. give each other compliments because we're stingy fellows. But we say, if something really resonated with us, we say, I actually will listen to that after wow. the podcast. Is like a big. Well, that makes me very uh, happy. Thank you for setting us straight. You're very welcome. Regarding Tweet. <laughs> and I'll say, you know, so long, suckers. We'll see you next week. Yeah.